0: Take out your Bibles. We are doing a series on Thursday nights through the book of Psalms. And uh, the series is titled Songs for Our Heart. And we are in Psalm 30 tonight. And so while y'all are turning there, let's ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, Lord. And as we open up your word, we, we do want a song our heart, Father God. We, we know that the Psalms were written um, with certain situations in mind, with certain feelings in mind, um, and Lord, we know that they are a blessing to our heart, and so we ask that as we study this Psalm, Father God, that you would make it the song of our heart, that it would be one of those that we can go back to, Father God, one of those that we can bring up, and uh, Lord, that it would just glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 30 is a song of enduring hope. And there is a uh, verse that's in this Psalm that everybody knows where sorrow lasts through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And so that's the title of the message. Joy comes in the morning. So I don't know where your hearts are at. I don't know where you're at in your personal life at this time. As painful as a season it may be, it is only a season. We know, that everybody knows that life has its twists, its turns, its ups, and its downs. And we may suffer through many dark nights. Maybe you've been suffering through many that are in a row. Know this, the promise in the Psalms is that morning will come. We're to sing to God and worship and praise him when we're silent and our hearts turn away from worship, though, we're not living up to our full calling. We're not living up to our full potential. And so this sin-riddled world gives us many reasons to despair. John sixteen thirty three, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. That's capital T. You'll have trouble with a capital T. It will happen. Our own sin that we choose to walk in, to commit, to partake of, to uh, fulfill that desire, will also bring dark times because it brings on God's discipline. Hebrews 12 talks about the discipline of the Lord as a uh, father would discipline his children. And that he, whom he loves, he disciplines. But those dark times, they produce heartache. They bring disappointment. Betrayals leave us feeling shattered. And if it lasts long enough, that hope starts to fade. And we start to wonder, will hope ever come again? And that's why God gives us this reminder in the Psalms that joy comes in the morning. Dark nights, they can last a long time but they're never permanent for those who are in Christ Jesus. So instead of hopelessness, we have God's promise that he makes all things work together for good. Romans eight twenty eight. Paul says, he's working all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Because that is our God. The only one who can take the very bad and transform it into something good. What was meant for evil turned for good. The only one who can bring beauty from the ashes. So even when we're walking through the valley of a shadow of death, as we looked at several weeks ago in Psalm 23, we know that our good shepherd never abandons us and our suffering is always purposeful. The Lord can take the broken places in our lives, the things that are shattered, and what he does is he turns it into a beautiful mosaic. That blesses the world. You see, it's often our darkest pain that we're going to find is our brightest light when we trust it to him. So joy comes in the morning if we remain faithful. See, the emphasis of this psalm is on praise to the Lord. And David focused on praising the Lord for rescuing him from a dangerous, difficult situation. And this situation included sickness That brought him near to death. God's anger and discipline, it brought him near to death. It brought God's anger, it brought discipline, it brought sorrow, and it brought emotional turmoil into his life. You see, the trial that David was going through, see, he's in a special position. He was the king over a nation. And so what usually happens is when a leader goes through a trial, when a leader goes through a trouble, The people that are around him go through the same thing. And so his trouble involved the entire nation. And the superscript of this psalm indicates that David wrote this psalm for the dedication of the house of David. And so this can mean two different things. Number one, it can mean that it indicates the palace. When David built his palace in Jerusalem, the capital city, after having captured Mount Zion, he made Jerusalem the capital city and all Israel crowning David, his victories experienced over the Philistines. He built this grand palace for himself. And it points to the context being, David got to a point of pride. And God would be chastening him. You see, when you you get to a point of pride, what it does is it invites the chastening of God. The second thing he can refer to, the house could refer to the temple of the Lord, and then the context becomes the national plague when David chose to census the people. He arrogantly numbered the people. And when God, God gave him a choice, he said, you can choose this, this, or this. And David chose that the Lord would afflict them because he trusted in the goodness of the Lord. And in the goodness of the Lord, 70,000 died from the plague. But whichever case you want to take and look at it from that point of view, the lesson of the psalm is clear that the Lord forgave David and blessed him with a new beginning. Scottish preacher George Morrison wrote, the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings, a series of new mornings. So starting in Psalm 30 verse 1, it says, I will exalt you, Lord, because you've lifted me up. And have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me. Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from Sheol. You spared me from being among those going down to the pit. Sing to the Lord, you, faith, you his faithful ones, and praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. When I was secure, I said I would never be shaken. Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain. When you hid your face, I was terrified. Lord, I called to you. I sought favor from my Lord. What gain is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your truth? Lord, listen and be gracious to me. Lord, be my helper. You turned my lament into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. And in case I didn't mention it before, I do teach out of the CSB version. So if yours is a little bit different, it's okay. I've always heard it said that the best version to read of the Bible, as long as it's not a heretical version, the best version to read is the one that you're, the best version to have is the one you'll read. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It all stays the same when you stay within the uh, traditional translations. But as we look at the Psalms, there's, there's uh, three things that we're going to get out of this Psalm that we need to understand when we think about joy coming in the morning for those who are faithful to the Lord. And number one, it's bad times do not mean defeat. Bad times do not mean defeat. As we look at the first five verses again, he says, I will exalt you, Lord, because you've lifted me up and have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me. Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from Sheol. You spared me from going down from among those going down to the pit. So sing to the Lord, you, his faithful ones and praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. So David writes, he says, I will exalt you, Lord. And this indicates that David understands one thing about worship and praise. That it is a volitional act of his own will. No one can force you to praise the Lord. But also no one can force you to not praise the Lord. That is a choice that we all make, whether we will or won't praise the Lord. And David says, I will exalt you, Lord. Because praise and worship are acts of the will and something that we decide to do or to not do. David didn't say, I feel like exalting the Lord. Because truth is, he may not have felt like it. He said, I will Indicating that he determined to worship the Lord no matter what. Oftentimes, our own life circumstances dictate and determine our worship. If we're feeling good, we're like, I feel like going to church. I want to go worship. I'm happy. I'm going to praise the Lord. When something bad's happening, I'm not going to go to church today. Why should I? What's God doing for me lately? I don't feel like worshiping him. It's been said before and it'll be said again and it'll continue being said because we as people are fickle people, but it's easy to praise and worship in good times. When easy times are upon us, it's easy to praise because things are going well. But it's the true worshiper who is able to worship in the hard times in the dark times, in the despairing times. Now, it looks like when you read the second half of this verse, that David only exalts the Lord because the Lord has lifted him up and rescued him. But we need to look and see the truth of why the Lord rescued him. He says, I will exalt you, Lord, because you've lifted me up and have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me. Verse two gives us the answer of the why. He says, Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. David exalts and worships the Lord for rescuing him, but understand the Lord rescued him because David cried out to him. And David trusted him to rescue him. Now, I'm not saying that the moment that we cry out to the Lord to rescue us, that we're going to be rescued as we're going to see Sometimes we may cry out to the Lord a lot in succession over a long period of time, and it's going to seem like help never comes. But crying out to the Lord is still better than not crying out or crying out to something else. David trusted the Lord to help him, the Lord lifted him from death, healed him physically. David says, you brought me up from Sheol. Literally, he's saying, you saved me from death. Because he was on his deathbed. He was ready to go into the grave, but the Lord healed him and brought him up. He says, you brought me up from Sheol. And he was driven to high praise of God because God gave him life over the grave. As I read this, I couldn't help but think, how much more should we praise God in this day and time on this side of the cross exalting God for providing that eternal life, that life that happens over the grave. You see, in Christ, God gives us eternal life. In Christ, we have victory over the pit. It's Christ who said, believe in me and you'll never die. And he says, and the one who believes in me, though he dies, he will live. Do you believe this? So David calls out for the people. He says, faithful ones... Praise and sing to the Lord. And that's how you can tell who is faithful to the Lord. The faithful ones are those who praise and sing unto the Lord. It doesn't matter what's going on in their life. They're faithful because they praise the Lord. Why should they praise the Lord? Why do we praise the Lord? What if God's angry at us? What if we messed up and, and we're going through this discipline of God? Is it right for us to be mad at God? Be like, I know I ignored what you told me to do, God. And I know that you're punishing me for that, but I'm mad at you. When our kids do that, we think of them as foolish, right? It's the same way we're acting when we do it with God. But David says this, and he knows this. And David has messed up with God before. So he's not a stranger to to God's discipline. And so he knows this truth about God. God may get angry over the choices that we make and the things that we do. And he may have to punish us and discipline us. And he may talk to us the way we we talk to our kids. Now, this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me. But David also understood this. God's anger towards his children lasts only a moment. But his favor, a lifetime. David says, weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. David is saying that, even this plague that came from the Lord lasts only a moment, but his favor, a lifetime. You see the favor of the Lord outlives his chastening, outlives his anger, outlives his discipline, outlives his punishment. And David understands this. He understands the trials, troubles, storms, discipline. All those are temporary Especially when you compare it to, you see, we may look at that word lifetime and we're thinking lifetime, 70 years, 80 if if we're lucky, uh, 90 if we're super blessed with a long span of life. But when it says the lifetime, he's talking about the lifetime of the Lord. His favor lasts for the lifetime of the Lord. And so all of these troubles and all of these trials and all these tribulations that we go through in this life, that dark, stormy time, it's temporary when you compare it to the, eternality, to the eternal length of his favor. And notice that David states that weeping may stay overnight. That's a hopeful statement. Weeping comes at receiving horrible news. Weeping comes at something horrible happening to us, bad times of sorts. News of a tragedy striking close to home. News of a relationship failing, breaking. News of a diagnosis to our health that we once celebrated the night that david talks about where weeping may stay overnight that night is the period of the tribulation the period of that trouble but notice that the scripture says and it's scripture weeping may stay overnight it's not set in stone We don't have to, if something bad happens to us, it doesn't have to destroy us. We don't have to be caught up and completely in mourning for the rest of our life. And then there's a chance that weeping may never come. And that's not to say that we don't care because something tragic happened, or it just means that, you know, if we lost a loved one, we'd never love them. That, that's not what that means at all. It just means that our weeping doesn't have to come. We don't have to weep as those who have no hope. Listen to the promise that's found here in this psalm. Our weeping doesn't have to stay overnight. It could. Our weeping could last throughout the entire tribulation throughout that entire trial, throughout that entire trouble, or it may not. It depends on our response to what's going on and whether it's just something that we have to go through because we're we're appointed to have trouble in this life, whether it's trouble we brought on ourselves and it's God's anger that we're walking through, or it might even be God's favor. That's a hard thing for us to understand. How could we be weeping in God's favor? Well, Job was favored of God. God said, have you considered my servant Job? He's righteous and walks upright. There's none like him found in all the earth. And Satan said, oh, it's because he has everything that he wants. And God says, strike him. The, the only thing you can't do is kill him. Satan took away everything of his. Job is where we get that song that the Lord gives and takes away but blessed be the name of the Lord. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. He says, I can't take anything with me. He said, but nothing with the Lord is better than everything without the Lord. So how long is a night? If we look at this passage, literally, a night would be 12 hours. How many of us have gone through a dark time that lasted only 12 hours? The Bible's not always speaking literally. And I really believe that right now it's using it in a metaphorical sense. And, if, and uh, God is not governed by any specific amount of time. That's hard for us. We want God to hurry up. We want God to like, God, come and quickly end it. I, I, it it's uncomfortable for a moment. And God's like, yeah, but for it to have its perfecting work, it's got to take some time. Our night may last longer than a night. Your night depends on a few things. What if God's trying to change our attitude about the way we see circumstances? The longer we hold on to that bitterness, that anger, that, that resentment at it, the, the longer that our heart uh, refrains from worship, God may allow it to last longer until we realize, you know what? I still have the Lord. The Lord is still good. The Lord is still on his throne. No matter what happens to us in this life, I'm still looking forward to what happens in the next life. The Lord has promised me eternal life and victory over the grave. And he's kept me from those going down to the pit. So in other words, your night could be three minutes. It could be three days. It could be three months. It could be three years. I don't know why I picked the number three I just did. But the duration of our night depends on this, how long we allow darkness to remain in our lives or how long we allow God's face to be turned away from us. That's what the night is. It's not the situation you go through. It's not the trouble you go through. It's when you lock yourself away and you say, God's hiding his face from me, or you're keeping yourself from god you're not allowing god's face to be near you. you're not welcoming god towards you whether it's because of something that happened to us we go oh god must not love me well i'll show him i won't love him or maybe we've sinned and god's disciplining us and we're extra angry at god and we're like well now i'm mad at you god Or maybe it's just because we're still practicing wickedness in our life. And what happens with that is it breaks our fellowship and our communion with God. And we start to begin to feel like we're far away from God. That's a dark time in our life. To walk through the troubles and the tribulations and the things in this life without God. Without feeling his face. That night ends when we turn to God in worship, and you know what happens when we turn our hearts towards worshiping God in those times? Joy's waiting with the morning for us as believers. The promise is that night doesn't mean defeat for those who trust in Christ, for those who are faithful to God, because the promise is that the morning is coming and that morning is bringing joy. And God's help arrives in the morning. We see it all throughout scripture. It's the same promise that's laid out. It says, because the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. Psalm 46, 5. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. In Psalm 143, 8, the worshiper that stands before God, let me experience your faithful love in the morning. For I trust in you. Reveal to me the way I should go because I appeal to you. You see, our weeping is only momentary, but his favor is for a lifetime, an eternal lifetime. And know this, God isn't replacing our weeping with joy. God is taking the very things that cause us to weep and transforming them to joy. Jesus, before he went to the cross, was telling his disciples, he says, Truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn. The world will rejoice, but you will become sorrowful. He says, Because I'm going to die. He says, But your sorrow will turn to joy. Because in mind, he has the resurrection. He has the victory that he's going to gain over sin and over death. And he describes it like this. He says, when a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she's given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering. That's why most families have more than one child. It's because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. I'm hard pressed to find those who have children and have more than one that never said that said, Oh yeah, I I wish I'd never done that. (laughs) They're they're always overcome. Like once the baby's here through all that pain and all those tears, once the baby's here, the the joy on the mom's face. I remember my wife when each and every time she gave birth, um, the joy that was on her face, You just can't, you know, the, the Lord knew what he was doing and he causes the, the uh, I forgot what they're actually called, the hormones, the endorphins that it release. And all of a sudden all the pain goes and it makes the mom forgetful. And apparently that lasts for the rest of the child's life. <laughs> and then Jesus ends. He says, so you have sorrow now. He says, but I'll see you again. Your hearts will rejoice And you know what? When that joy comes in the morning, this is what he promises. No one will take away your joy from you. That's the promise that we have from the Lord. No one can take that joy from us. But here's the other side of that. In those dark times, in those trials, in those troubles, and in those tribulations, we can lay our joy down. And so we have to be on guard from laying down our joy. We must hold on to our joy. And here's how we do that. The presence of the Lord makes the difference. When we go through a hard time, and we say, I don't want to be at church, or I don't feel like worshiping God, or I don't want to be around God's people. What we're saying is, I don't want to be in the presence of the Lord. But the presence of the Lord is what makes all the difference. In verse six, he says, when I was secure, I said, I'll never be shaken. Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain. And when you hid your face, I was terrified. Lord, I called to you. I sought favor from my Lord. What gain is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your truth? Lord, listen and be gracious to me. Lord, be my helper. You see, David's pride led to the chastening of the Lord. And the truth is, is our pride invites chastening from the Lord upon us. So David calls out, and he says, when I was secure, I said, I'll never be shaken. How many of us in 2016, when the economy was going well, when gas prices were dropping down and Everything financially strengthened and returned. How many of us said, it's going to be like this forever? It didn't take very long for that to go away, for all that to change. We have to understand that about life. It doesn't take long for it to change. We can't find our security in any of that here. David says, When I was secure, I said, I'll never be shaken. He was thinking, I have the palace, I have the nation, I have all this. Nothing's ever going to, like, I'm David. Who's going to bug me? We, we do that in our walk with Christ, though, don't we? I've gone through this. I've read, you know, this. I'm in my scripture every day. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. You see, that whole statement, when I was secure, that translates to David saying, when I was Prosperous. You see, prosperity is defined as careless ease, carefree, self-assurance, because things are well. And it's a common attitude. It's a default setting. It's a default setting for unbelievers to trust in everything that they got going on around them. I'm doing great. My kids are healthy. I'm healthy. My dog's healthy. My cars are running great. I don't have any flat tires. My 401k is gaining All those are temporary things to trust in. But there is a continual temptation for us as believers to trust in those same things. But we have something greater to trust in. Our trust and our hope and everything needs to be in the Lord. But the Lord knows that we're forgetful. In Deuteronomy 8, 17, when he was telling the Israelites, I'm going to take you to the promised land. He says, you may say to yourself, my power, my own ability has gained all this wealth for me. He says, when you go into that promised land, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be prosperous. And he says, you're going to be tempted. You're going to say, my power, my own ability, gain this wealth for me. He says, but remember, the Lord, your God gives you the power to gain wealth. Everything that we trust in, we need to understand comes from the Lord. So we need to just trust in the Lord. Why don't we just trust in the giver of all good things? And the Lord permits trials and brings chastening that we might not become comfortable in our faith. Because you know what happens when you get comfortable in your faith and you start becoming comfortable? You become complacent. When you become complacent, you stop growing. When we're comfortable in our faith, we stop growing because we don't have to trust God for anything. We're not stepping out in faith. And it said that we walk by faith. Not by sight. That's the Christian walk. We walk by faith. Warren Wearsby says prosperity without humility will lead us to adversity. That's what Job says. Job sixteen twelve. He says, I was at ease and he shuddered me. He seized me by the scruff of the neck and smashed me to pieces. He set me up as his target. The Lord put us on this planet and gave us this life for a lot of different reasons. You know what one of those reasons was not? For us to sit and be comfortable and do nothing. And David needed to learn a very important lesson. And we have a choice. We can learn from David and and we can learn from this Psalm here. Or we can learn from our own experience as we go through it. Because I guarantee you, the Lord wants us to learn this so we can learn from David's choice or we can learn through sorrow and difficulty. The lesson is this. Don't stand in your situation. We don't stand in our situation. We don't stand in our prosperity. We don't stand in our health. To stand means to find your security. None of that is our security. When we stand, we stand in the Lord. And Paul Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 10:12. Whoever thinks he stand, must be careful not to fall. I'll never forget. There was there was a time where. Um, I was talking to someone on the phone and and I remember they were talking, well, just be careful. You don't enter into temptation and whatnot. Oh no, I'm great. I, you know, I do this and I do that. I was like maybe two years into my walk as a Christian and I I was naming all the things that I do. And so I don't have to worry about temptation. And they quoted this verse to me and I was just like, Oh, and and it's one of the, we, we can get comfortable and secure in the things that we're doing when we should be secure in the Lord. David recognizes it is the favor of the Lord that allowed him to stand like a mountain. He says, when I was secure, I said, I'll never be shaken. Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me stand. And that's the truth. The only one that can make, the the only reason we can stand is because the Lord makes us stand. When the Lord hid His face, or another way of that being translated is when the Lord afflicted David, David realized he was secure in nothing. It's nothing like a health issue to let you know that you are not in control of anything. Maybe you're here tonight, and you, maybe you're not going through trouble right now. Maybe you're enjoying a season of success and there's nothing wrong with that. But know this, it does not insulate you from difficulties. It does not mean that difficulties won't come or aren't coming. This is the time when you're, when you're feeling like, Hey, I'm coasting right now. The Lord doesn't want us to sit up and kick back and and rest on our, on our uh, backside. This is the time to make our faith firm in the Lord. This is the time there's no security, there's no safety outside the Lord. And without the Lord, guess what? Life is a nightmare. We have to seek Him, we have to seek His face, we want His presence. That's the difference in our life. That's the difference in our distress. Do we have the face of the Lord? Like David, we have to call on the Lord. We have to seek favor from the Lord because it's his favor that lasts us for our lifetime. That word terrified describes an intense agony an anguish and a great fear. You see, when the Lord hides his face, when we feel far from the Lord, when we're going through something, we don't feel the presence of the Lord around us. It brings terror into us because There's only one thing that's sure in this world, and it's whatever the Lord says or does. This terror is the same terror that Saul felt. Maybe you're familiar with the uh, recount in the Old Testament when Saul sinned against the Lord, was told that the favor of the Lord was departing from him, and he used to have Samuel the prophet around, and then Samuel the prophet died, And now truly there was no voice from the Lord for Saul. You know what Saul did? Saul went to Endor and found himself a medium, a.k.a. a witch. And he had this witch do a theance and call up Samuel from the dead. Now, all your personal theology aside about whether that was really Samuel or the demon or what have you, or how was he able to do that? Here's where I rest on that. I believe the Lord allowed it to happen for a reason. And I think it was this. In 2 Samuel 28:21, 21, when, Saul, when Samuel is brought up again, Saul says, tell me what's going to happen. And Samuel very bluntly says, you're going to go out to battle and you are going to die. And that was the only word that he got. And it terrified him. And the woman who seanced this and who's calling up demons sees the terror on him. And she says, look, your servants obeyed you. I took my life into my hands and I did what you told me. Because at the time Saul was killing all the prophets and everything. Because he didn't like their prophecies because it was always against him. When Samuel was raised up and told him, you're going to die. It was then that he first began to realize The Lord had departed from him and the terror that was on him. There is no other terror that I can think of, but to face death apart from the Lord. The promise is victory to the faithful. The promise is victory to the faithful. You see, we don't have to fear death because we have the Lord. David says you turn my lament into dancing you remove my sackcloth and clothe me with gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent Lord my God I will praise you forever So David describes the transformation for those who are faithful in the Lord and the Lord's power to transform seeming defeat into victories You see David says you turned the Hebrew word is hap hapatka And it means to be transformed, to cause to change. He says, you took my lament and through you, God, it became dancing. He says, you removed my sackcloth, my clothes of mourning, my clothes of sorrow, my clothes of anguish. And you clothed me instead with gladness. And I love that picture because... You find it all throughout scripture. There's many scriptures you can go to. Um, Colossians and Ephesians are two of them. Where it talks about the dramatic transformation of the Lord in the life of the believer. And as it relates to taking off and putting on. It's taking off the sorrow. Taking off the anguish. Taking off the grief and putting on the gladness that dramatic transformation of the Lord in the life of the believer. Sackcloth always serves gladness. It's a hard thing for us to understand this side of glory, but know this, that there is no true joy without the experience of sorrow. We can't appreciate the benefit of the cross without the death of Christ. If all we had was the forgiveness of sins, but we didn't have the death of Christ and the sacrifice that took and what he endured and what he went through, we can never truly appreciate the fact that he laid his life down. Sackcloth always serves gladness. and, And here's why. Because God takes our lamenting and he turns it into dancing. I'm going to give you the greatest reason ever to seek the face of the Lord, no matter what it is that you're going through. It's because God has the final word over it all. It's not the other way around. God removes our weeping and he clothes us in the morning with joy. And David says, he does that so that we can praise. And so David says, I'll praise God and not be silent. And, said, and in fact, he says, "I'll praise you forever, God." And isn't that the truth? Because God has taken off those clothes of death from around us and has promised to clothe us with eternal life in Christ Jesus. We can praise Him forever, because He's given us eternal life. In every night that we experience, we can either have a pity party. Or we can rehearse the choir songs of heaven. Know, know this. No matter what happens. God's promise. And God's promise has always come true. Is that ultimately in him. We will be victorious. The apostle John writes in his epistle. First John 5.4. He says because everyone who has been born of God. Conquers the world. And this is the victory that has conquered the world. Our faith. Because we have believed that he sent his son and that his son died on the cross and was raised again on the third day and in him we have forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. So, how do we apply this? How do we take this home other than what we've been learning so far. Worship and praise is a choice outside of circumstance. We worship and praise not because of what happens, but because of who God is. God's anger is brief, but his favor lasts a lifetime. we need to seek his favor because that lasts a lifetime. Weeping, our weeping may or may not last all night. Depends if we're seeking the presence of the Lord, if we're seeking his face, if we're looking for his favor. And here's the other thing, your night, Depends on how you handle your weeping. I've seen people just overtaken with such sorrow and anguish that it that overtakes them. They, they can't do anything. They can't even get out of bed. And then there's others who've gone through such terrible tragedy. And, and you would think that it would overtake them, but it doesn't. Why? Why? And it's because all their hope, all their trust is in the security of the Lord. And they know that joy comes in the morning. If we would understand that joy comes in the morning, that that gives us that hope to hold on to, that hope to continue to fight for. And morning is not a 12-hour period when it's dark outside. Morning is every new beginning that the Lord gives us. You see, the Lord promises that he will make all things new. The Lord promises us that in Christ Jesus, we are a new creation. Morning is when you let the light of God into your life, into your problems, into your things that are going on. When you let the light of the Lord there, all night becomes morning. And joy comes in the morning when we awaken to our purpose and we see that even our mistakes Our sorrows and our confusions become the foundation upon which God would build a ministry. This is how people that have been ravaged by certain things go off and they minister to the very same people trapped in that part of the world, trapped in that part of sin. How God takes people like myself who should never deserve to be up here and be able to share his word. And he gives us the opportunity to go off and and if we're willing to, to share his word. And he puts us there. And no matter where you're at right now, maybe you think that God might be done with you. Maybe you think that God can't use you or doesn't want to use you. That's not true. God wants to use you. And you may think that you have to be perfect or pretend to be perfect. God wants to take all of you and use it for his glory to to show how he can take our lamenting and turn it into dancing. How he can take our clothes of sackcloth and clothe us instead with gladness. I like this description of what it looks like. Have you ever seen a tapestry? How beautiful that picture is on the front ever flipped it around to the back? Just a crisscross, ugly maze of threads and everything. No, no rhyme or reason to any of it. That's the side we see. God seeing the other side, the picture that he's making, the thing that he's doing. And so God allows pain and struggle into our lives. We're told in the New Testament that it refines us like gold, proving our faith. We see that God through Jesus suffered greatly, suffered terribly while here on earth so that we would know that he understands our pain. And Hebrews tells us that he endured all things that we go through so that he is not one who doesn't understand what we go through, but in the same way has been tempted in every way. And as bad as it was in that moment, Hebrews twelve two says, keeping our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy that lay before him. He endured the cross despising shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross because he saw the joy that lay before him. Continues on it says, Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. Our weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Do not grow weary. Do not give up. Jesus models what it means for us that joy comes in the morning. Jesus shows us that God has the last word. His death did not have the last word. When he rose out of the grave, that had the last word, and we saw that death by death was put to death, so that all who trust in Jesus Christ would not taste of death but have eternal life. And so it is that joy comes in the morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, Lord. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for David's heart in in writing this psalm, but you. you using his hand as you wrote these very words to remind your people, Lord, Father, we will weep, we will mourn, we will go through tough times, especially if we're trusting in anything in this life. But Father, the promise is, the truth is, if we trust in you, if we seek your favor, if we seek your face, then we will stand as a mountain and you will take everything that we go through and none of it will be wasted. None of it is wasted tears. None of it is wasted effort, but you will take it all and you will use it for your glory. For the praises of us to praise you as we see the transformation in our life, because you have the last word on it. And Father, we thank you that in our life, when we breathe our last breath on this earth, if Christ delays and does not come and we breathe our last breath here Father God that that is not the last but that your word has the last when you say welcome my good and faithful servant for those who are in Christ Jesus so as we sing this last song we're going to open it up if you need prayer for anything you can come forward I'll be standing up front you can come up and, and pray um, I'd also invite you to take this time if you Maybe you're going through things and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never had the favor of God on you. And so life does look all dark. And um, you're wondering when that morning is coming. Allow his Holy Spirit to have its work in your heart. Come and see that Jesus died on the cross. Not only for your sins, but also for the promise that you could have salvation through his name. And that that morning would come. You don't have to wait for that glorious hope but that you can have it right here and right now simply by calling out and saying, God, that's me. I need Jesus. I need that forgiveness. I want that promise of of life. I want that. I, I, I want your favor, God. And I know that it comes through Christ. The only thing I would caution you on is if that's you, don't leave here without getting right with Christ. We're told today is the day of salvation. It doesn't say tomorrow is the day of salvation. It doesn't say next week is the day of salvation. We're only told that right here, right now, in this moment, is all we have for salvation. Father, we thank you that you do open it up for us to come to Christ, that any who would call upon his name shall be saved and have everlasting life. We thank you, Lord, and we look forward to that morning, to that joy that comes in the morning, Father God, as we see your face. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.